name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we're celebrating the new martyrs and confessors of the Russian Church. And there is a curious thing at the end of the reading for them. A lot of people don't believe it. A lot of people, they look with their eyes, and they hear with their ears, but they don't see or hear. They, they just see the external things, and they don't believe them. And that is that it says, by your patient, um, excuse me, uh, not a hair of your head shall be lost. Talking about people who would be tortured, be martyred, not a hair of your head shall be lost. People lost their heads. People were, had their skin flayed off them. All kinds of things happened. And not a hair of your head shall be lost. What in the world is he talking about? What kind of crazy talk is this? The world thinks it's crazy. Because the world says that they're going from a scene to be outer destruction. That's from the wisdom of Solomon, usually read from martyrs. The world sees that people are giving up all that they have, their life, because of belief in some sort of fictional God, or maybe not a fictional God, but not a very powerful God, not a God that really affects their lives. So people don't understand martyrdom. People don't understand suffering. For that matter, the vast majority of Orthodox Christians don't even understand fasting. They don't understand any kind of sacrifice. Why would we do this stuff? Why would we be willing to die? Why would we be willing, in the case of not one of the new martyrs of Russia, but still a martyr and therefore part of this family, someone like Sophia, who encouraged her very own daughters to be martyred. And right before her eyes, she was encouraging them. Or the mother of Melita, the one, the last, uh, the, the boy, the youngest uh, soldier that was among the 40 martyrs of Sebastian. She encouraged him because he was starting to waver. Stay in there. Endure. So that you'll have eternal life. What makes people do this kind of stuff? You ever wondered about that? I tell people all the time, I, to me, Christianity is experience. If you don't experience what we're talking about, what you say you believe, then why do it? Why do it? The world doesn't do it. The world, if they do believe in Christianity, they kind of have a dumbed-down version that's not so threatening to them, that doesn't have anything to do with what they eat for dinner, and doesn't really get too much into their sex life or anything else. They just kind of live easy. But living easy doesn't bring us life. Living easy brings us death. Death, real death. Permanent death. The martyrs had partial death. So when he said, not a hair on your head shall perish, he's not talking that their hair is not going to get bloody, or it's not going to be pulled out, or whatever. Not about that at all. It's about that they will be completely saved. And in the next life, they will be completely filled with God and have a perfected body, and they will have lost nothing. What appears to have been lost will be temporary. That's what it means. Pretty amazing. You should read the stories of the new martyrs and confessors of Russia. There's some amazing ones that are just, they're just inspiring. There's a lot of documentation about them. Fortunately, there's inspiring stories. 
There's one that I really love from the canon last night. I don't remember his name right now. Jenny will remember, you know, because she remembers everything like this. Father Nicholas always remembers these names. Who was the priest who, when he gave his cloak, when he lived with what? Damascene. Say, I told you she'd remember. Damascene. Uh, and he was freezing to death, and he had an outer cloak. So he had he had two, Padreznik, uh, which is the inner garment, and the outer garment of the um, uh, Raso. And the Raso, and Rush, some Russian Rasos are like, I mean, they're, they're thick, super thick, and especially for the winter. But he was still cold, and that cold and damp and, uh, of Siberia by the river, and he gave his outer garment to someone who was freezing more than him. Well, these people do kind of this kind of stuff. The love of God is what makes them do it. The experience of the love of God, not talking about it, not being able to, you know, read about it and say, well, this, you know, look at that. Uh, God is love. That's it. We say God is love. Well, if you say it, but you don't feel it, then you don't really believe it. So the martyrs are inspiring to us because they fully believed in God. And when they were tested, then they were up to the test. A lot of them, they didn't expect what was going to happen to them. Some of them, you know, they saw it coming. But especially in early times, they didn't see it coming. But they were prepared because they were living a Christian life. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the epistle for the martyrs. And it has things in there that are questions in my mind. Well, there's actually some that are definitely questions. But then also things that, in my mind, are, uh, are questions. So, St. Paul says, We know all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And there's a question right there for me. I see it. But like I said, I see questions everywhere. It's like, that's true. It says it. We believe St. Paul. How are we going to believe that? How are we going to believe that? Well, one of the greatest sins the person can have is they're, they're being uh, not satisfied. They're complaining. Because that is basically saying to God, I don't believe that everything that you do for me works to the good. I have a better idea. It's kind of a blasphemy, really. And if we have a complaintive spirit, then, uh, then all things are not working together to the good. Marina and I have this little thing going on sometimes that I hate rain. I hate rainy days. I just do. I, I, they're gloomy. I don't like them. They make me depressed. I'm sure glad that I don't live in Sweden or San Francisco or Juneau, Alaska. San Francisco for various other reasons as well. And uh, Sweden too for that matter. I don't know about Juno, but Juno has like three or four days of sun a year. Can you believe that? It's incredible. Oh man. I just don't like rainy days. And she said she likes rainy days. And uh, where are you? There you said you love rainy days, I think. Was it you? Yes. I'm looking at you. Yeah, I think you did. Uh, either No, maybe, maybe Mila said it. Somebody said, I love rainy days. And then, are you the one who said it? You're the one who said it. So she said, I love rainy days. And, uh, and uh, that's what Marina told me. And I said, does she? She says, no, she hates them. But she thinks that she should say she loves them because she should learn to be thankful for everything. 
That's smart. That's really smart. So I'm trying to love rainy days. It's, a, it's an on and again, off again kind of thing. But, you know, we should love everything. Um, even when terrible things happen, you should thank God. I actually had a terrible thing happen this week, just recently, just yesterday. And I took to thanking God for it, because it's really a hard thing, really a hard thing. I lost a good friend in a terrible way. And uh, if you just feel miserable because of it, what good does that do you? This is an opportunity for me now to comfort his family, to pray for him, uh, to perhaps something that I experience will pay dividends 20 years later for somebody else. Something good is going to happen out of this bad. So I've, I've taken a thanking God for this uh, event that occurred. That's what you should try to do too. Because if we are complaining, then we're not going to be martyrs. We might be killed. We might be tortured. We might be put in prison, but we won't be martyrs. You know, I read uh, sometimes about the, the prisons and the concentration camps and even also the, the gulags in, in Russia. And there were very few people in those concentration camps or gulags that acted with dignity. Most of them, would, they would literally kill for a scrap of bread. Whether they were Christian, whether they were Jewish, no matter, didn't matter. They just went down to their base instincts because they were just trying to survive. But there were those who lived in an exalted way, even in the midst of that kind of uh, torture and squalor and fear and disease and everything else. Why? Because they thanked God for everything. So that's very important. Critically important. If that's the only thing that I say today that has any usefulness, well, I think I've at least done a little of my job today. We need to thank God for everything because we know all things do work to the good. Everything works to the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Ah, oh, purpose. Have you ever heard that word from me? Huh? Maybe a little bit, huh? If you don't know your purpose, what are you doing? I mean, if you don't know your purpose, you won't get where you need to go. Our purpose is to become perfected. Our purpose is to be all love, like God is. Our purpose is to know God, to be united with Him. And we know Him by entering into His life. There's this word, fancy word. It's one of the few fancy theological words that I actually know. Kenosis. That's to enter into the suffering of Christ. That's what we all should be doing. Because then we're called according to His purpose. Your purpose is not to suffer. Your purpose is to become like Christ. And how can you become like Christ if you don't share in his life? You can't. So if you know your purpose, then everything is superfluous to you. It doesn't matter what it, your circumstances are. You will live as a Christian, and you'll take up your cross. Sometimes that means suffering. Sometimes that means joy. Sometimes that means things are nice and wonderful. But always, every day, there should be there's pain in your heart about the way the world is. You've got to cultivate that. That's so important. If you read the Psalter, you see it all the time. And if you're not reading the Psalter, then you're doing it wrong. Because you've got to read the Psalter. And, and our prayers are like this too. There's a, there's a certain pain of heart in our prayers. Because we know who God is. And, and we also know that 
a lot of what the world is like is not at all like he is, including stuff that we do. So there should be this pain in your heart about it and drive you. And then everything that happens is part of God's plan for you. And you accept it without questioning it. I don't like questions like, like uh, why did this happen to me? I hate those questions. I know you ask them a lot sometimes. Some people ask them like crazy and they, and they never get over something. You shouldn't ask those kinds of questions. Why did this happen to me? You should instead say, how can I grow from this? What is God trying to teach me? That everything's good. Even rainy days are good. Everything is good. That's how we should live. And then we become like the martyrs. So, St. Paul goes on now to say, basically gives us the energy that should be motivating us, giving us this ability to think these things, that everything works to the good and that we're called according to his purpose, and therefore, whatever's happening in life, all of it is to fulfill our purpose. He says, For whom he did foreknow, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We should just read that every day. We should have it in our heart every day. What did I just say? We who are sinners and weak and say silly things and do stupid things, have these thoughts in our head and all the rest, all this ugliness that's part of us, we're going to be conformed to the image of his son. What an amazing thing. He was conformed to our image. That's the incarnation. So we're conformed to his image. That, that, should, give, that should be the motor right there. That's the energy right there for everything. I love the sales of the martyrs when basically a martyr just says, I'm a Christian. Somebody's hacking off his arm, sacrificing the idols. I'm a Christian. Somebody says, what is your name? I'm a Christian. If you don't give me your name, I'm going to slap you again. I'm, I'm a Christian. <laughs> you can see that there's dozens of lives like that. It seems like dozens. And they're just, that's a wonderful thing to have that kind of identity because they know they were made to be conformed to the image of God. What an amazing thing. There's your energy right there. But you have to cultivate it. You have to cultivate it. I ask almost everybody in confession and stuff, you know, you're reading the Bible and your prayer life and stuff, you're reading the Psalter. I get more no's than yeses. Usually what I get is not as much as I should when you drill down from not as much as I should, that means I don't remember where my Psalter is. Well, check underneath your couch cushion or something. Maybe it's there, and you've been sitting on it for the past two months. We need to, we need to cultivate this, this energy in us to be made to be in his image, to be conformed to his image. We're already in his image, but being conformed to his image is another way of saying becoming according to his likeness. And that should give you energy. That's what energized the, the martyrs. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. You live with that reality if you live as a Christian. That gives you that energy. Ah, then he says, okay, if you really believe this, the world isn't like that, is it? The world is full of a lot of terrible things, especially when we're talking about the Holy New Martyrs and Confessors of Russia. 
I mean, there were millions that were killed in horrible ways. Every way that you can imagine, and a lot that you can't, they were killed. So he says, what then shall we say to these things? There's the question. It's not rhetorical. I mean, the device is rhetorical, but there ain't no rhetorical questions in the scripture. Everyone needs to be asked. So what shall we say to these things? So what say ye to these things? Well, he answers, if God is with us, who can be against us? If he did not even spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give all things? I talked yesterday about mnemonic devices. I think the scripture is full of them. There's one right there. Everyone has a different scripture that hits them, but that is amazing to me. So the Lord sacrificed himself so that he would kill sin. And he gave himself up for us. So shouldn't we give ourselves up to be like him? Shouldn't our gratitude motivate us to suffer a little bit? And maybe, maybe not to right now. Nobody's clamoring for our heads or to crucify us or to put us in jail. Maybe somebody's just clamoring for us to be more attentive to them or to be more patient with them or something of that nature. Something that's not as flashy. Uh, in some ways, it's harder to do those things. That's your energy right there. There's the demonic device, the, the thing that you can have in your heart. If God gave it to me, Shouldn't I give to others? Not as a law. It's not an imposed thing. The speed limit is imposed on us. If you don't follow it and you get caught, you get a ticket. But it's just an externally imposed law. This is not external. This is internal. This is, this is in your heart that God gave himself for you. So you naturally want to give yourself for others. And you get energy from this. And you're able to do everything. St. Paul goes on to say, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Remember that picture? Some of you have seen it. Most of you have seen it. There's a picture of Metropolitan Vladimir. He's standing in court. And it's a kind of a big room. And there's a small table in front of him. And he's standing there. And all of those that are dissemblers are around him waiting to pounce on him and eat him. And he's standing there peacefully. He knew he was going to die. But he wasn't afraid. Because God justifies. If you haven't seen that picture, you should find it. It's amazing. Metropolitan Vladimir before the court. It's an uh, uh, amazing picture. Most of How many people have seen that picture? Oh, that's sad. You should no, that's sad. You should you should know that picture. That's that's an icon of of the love of God and of the things I'm talking about. Standing there peacefully, I think he had his cloak on, and he was just standing there, and there were just ravenous wolves around him, waiting to just have some pretense to execute him. But he was at peace. Who is, it, who is he that who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Excuse me. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, 
who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Now I ask a question. Remember, if you get nothing out of my sermons, you'll know that, well, he talks a lot about frustrations and about questions, right? About reading the Psalter. He never quits that stuff. Here's a question. You've got to answer this question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He goes on to say that there's nothing that will separate us. But there's a question. You've got to answer it. There is an answer to it. There's definitely an answer to it. It's a terrible answer. It's a terrible answer. So he goes on to say, this is so amazing, so poetic, and so incredible. My wife is starting to not believe me that I don't like poetry. Because this is amazing. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's amazing. I think it's one of the scriptures that I try to read every day. I have this little booklet of thing, and that's in there. Because I want to remind myself of this every day. But there is an answer to this question. It appears that he's saying only a positive answer. But there is a negative answer. That's the important one I want you to think about. I want you to avoid at all costs. And the answer is, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who is it? Tell me, who is it? Ourselves. Ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. The most dangerous person in the world for us is ourselves, our passions, our false agendas, our sins, all the stuff that's in us. That can separate us. That's why I'm always talking to you fanatically about cultivating the love of God in your heart by reading and prostrations and all the rest. Some of you, I think, probably just go, oh, he's talking about that again. But it's so important because you've got to cultivate the love of God in you. It's not something that's, that stays unless you continue to use it or continue to sort of exercise it. It will go away. Absolutely, it will go away if you don't cultivate it. So that's the person that can separate you from the love of God, yourself. Your own laziness, that you don't pray very much, or fast, or etc., etc., that you have thoughts about somebody and you don't try to stop your thoughts about them, etc., etc. That's who will separate you. But if you have this understanding of the first things that I talked about in the beginning of this sermon, then you're not going to be that person. You're not going to be the one who can separate you. Because there's only one person who can separate you from God's love. But if you love God with all of your heart, then you're not that person. Which means you're saved. It's a glorious thing to be a Christian. We should remind ourselves that it is a glorious thing to be a Christian. God bless you and help you with all things. Amen.